0: Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. There's still some Bibles on the welcome table where you first came in. If you didn't bring a Bible with you or maybe you don't have a Bible app, I encourage you to take this opportunity, grab one, follow along with us in God's Word. This morning, we're continuing our study through the book of Ephesians uh, with the Shorter series of studies than the other series of studies that we just kind of came out of, where we're learning now from Paul's prayer for the saints in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. And in part two today, we're going to be focusing on verses 19 through 22, but we're going to read that whole section up front here, starting in verse 15 through the end of chapter one. So Ephesians 1:15 says, Therefore I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he, verse 22, put all things under his feet, Gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As I did last week, I want to share this quote from Warren Wearsby just to kind of help us have a kind of a grasp as we switch gears from that section we came out of two weeks ago. Uh, he said this, he said, we discovered that we were born rich when we trusted Christ. But this is not enough, for we must grow in our understanding of our riches if we are ever going to use them to the glory of God. Paul desired the Ephesian Christians to understand what great wealth they had in Christ. Paul knew of their faith and love, and in this he rejoiced. The Christian life is two dimensions, faith toward God and love toward men, and you cannot separate the two. But Paul knew that faith and love were just the beginning, the Ephesians needed to know much more. This is why he prayed for them and for us. And so just for a reminder of context, you know, Paul spent a, a large chunk of the beginning of this chapter praising God for his Trinitarian involvement and in blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, then listed some of those blessings that we've received from our God, and he's now switched out of this really long run-on sentence between verse 3 and uh, 14 to now a uh, completely other one long, long run-on sentence in the Greek in verses 15 through 23, praying for the believers. And I love it that just, again, keeping the context in mind, Paul is writing from house arrest, chained to a guard, constantly, every day, all night, every week, there for two years in Rome, and as he begins to finally kind of address the believers, he doesn't say, get me out of here. Like, did you sign the petition to get me released? Did you send your letters to Caesar? Have you been praying for me? I don't know about you, if I was in Paul's shoes, I might feel a little selfish in that way. I'd be like, are you guys even thinking about me? You know what I've been through? Do you know how hard things have been? He doesn't he's not even going, "Hey, pray for me." He's just going, "I'm thinking about you." I'm thinking, God, for you, I'm praying for you. And I just love the heart of God through Paul. This is God's heart for us. Not Looking inward, he's not focused on himself. He's going, you guys, I just want to see God do something amazing with you guys. I want you to know that I'm thinking about you. You're on my mind and I'm, I'm praying for you constantly. And just what an amazing thing it would be to get a letter from the Apostle Paul. Wow. Oh, did you see we got this letter. He's, he's in Rome. We know that he's been imprisoned and we don't know what's gonna happen with him. He's gonna, he had said that he wanted to stand before Caesar and as a Roman citizen, that was gonna happen at some point. We don't know if that's gonna be the day that Paul graduates into glory. He might lose his head. But we got this letter. And he's just going, I heard about you. I heard what God's doing with you. And I'm just thanking God. And just what that would do to you inwardly, how excited you would be, how much that would drive you even more to want to see God do these things in your life, to want to live radically for Jesus Christ. Like what a great example we hear, we have here, the Apostle Paul in his prayers. And so he. Again, he tells them, I'm thanking God for you. I, I'm praying for you continually. And he gives them some details of what he was praying for as he prayed for them and things, as I said last week, that we could say are for every believer. They're for us today. And so uh, he heard this report. They'd been trusting in Jesus. Still, still trusting Jesus. They're loving all the saints He's thanking God without ceasing. And then in verses 17 and 18, he gives insight into what he was praying for, for them, again, for us as well. Paul prayed for wisdom and revelation in spiritual matters, matters, or matters, whatever you want to do, specifically in our knowledge of our glorious Father. And he followed that up by praying that the eyes of our understanding or the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. All of this with the desire that we would come to know our God more fully. This personal, intimate knowledge that would move from our heads to settle into our hearts, drawing us deeper in fellowship with him. And part of why Paul prayed that the Father would do those things in the Ephesian believers' lives, and these things are needed by all of us as saints still today, is so that we may know He says, what is the hope of his calling? And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, as we saw in the second half of verse 18? We need the Lord to enlighten, to shine upon our understanding, our hearts, so that we may know the hope of his calling, that our calling by God is one of hope. And also that we may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, which as we considered last week, is us. We are God's inheritance. Yes, we have an inheritance from him, but when he looks out upon his people, he's going, I get you. You're my prize. You're the thing that I gave up all of heaven to get. You, you're my inheritance. I value you that highly, that much. But there's one more thing Paul's going to add to those two things we considered in the second half of verse 18 last week, which we're now going to see in the first half of verse 19 today. So read with me verse 19. The first part of that verse, he goes on to say, and what is the exceeding... Greatness of his power toward us who believe. So Paul adds this third sort of dynamic to his prayer, which shows us that we also need the Lord to enlighten, to shine upon our our hearts, our understanding, so that we may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Exceeding greatness. Literally the the super megaton of God's power. The exceeding greatness, the surpassing magnitude. Like Paul just kind of like goes all out in verse 19. He's like, let me use some of the biggest words that kind of all speak into power. Because all of these things are true. True. All of these things are are accurate descriptions of the power of God toward you and me. And he says, the exceeding greatness of God's power. Now, he uses the word power twice in verse 19. And and actually, it's, it's not the same Greek word in both places. When he says the exceeding greatness of his power the surpassing magnitude of his power, that word power there in the first part of the verse is the word dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. The surpassing magnitude of, of his dynamite sort of power, this explosive, like crazy sort of power, he says, toward us, who believe, toward, in, for us who have trusted Jesus. As we saw in our intro studies, when we saw Paul's ministry in Ephesus in Acts 19, these Ephesian believers had witnessed, they had experienced the power of God at work through Paul's life and ministry when he was in Ephesus for those three years. I mean, there's a couple different examples in Acts 19. We see the unusual miracles, which was people stealing Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons and then putting them on sick people and demon-possessed people, and they're healed and delivered. And, and, And Luke writes, they were unusual miracles. That word miracle is the same word dunamis that we see translated power here. And then we saw how there's all these, you know, people that are trying to like, I I think we have this market cornered on sort of like exorcism because there's a lot of demonic activity. There's a lot of occult activity in the city of Ephesus. And so we see this sort of false power where they thought we have sort of the power of God to deliver and they were overpowered by a demon, the seven sons of of Siva. We saw the power of God and how, you know, The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And this is kind of coming on the heels of of the multi million dollar worth of magical books that those who were delivered out of the occult had thrown into this bonfire in the city of Ephesus. They had seen God's power at work, they had seen God do things, not just like in the lives of other people. Some of these people Paul was writing to are those people maybe who had the unusual miracle, who maybe were people who laid down their magical books on the fire and and just threw all those things away, been delivered out of that, had had their souls saved, their lives transformed. Transformed. With now this vibrant church in Ephesus with God's word going out through the entire region of Asia. Everyone in the region of Asia hearing the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jew and Greek. God's power was at work. They had seen God's power. But let me say this. So have we. If we have believed in Jesus. They had experienced God's power but so have we, if we've believed in Jesus. But, but Paul prayed that they and we would know and experience God's power even more. You know, we never age out of being recipients of the exceeding greatness of God's power. You know, you think about as you get older and, and things, you, you become, uh, your strength starts to wane, right? There, because there comes a time where it's like you're not, your strength isn't increasing anymore. It starts to decrease, right? I'm not talking about you. No. I don't have any one person in mind. I'm just saying, in general, <laughs> in general, right? so we might think of different seasons. Like well, you know, yeah, of course right now and at this point in my life and as a new believer 10 years in, 20 but 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 at some point we might think in ourselves cuz we sort of consider the natural progression of of power in our own bodies that we would go, you know what at some point the power's going to to recede. It's going to start to diminish. And yet that's not true with the power of God. You're never going to age out. There's never going to be a point where he's going, you've kind of missed like the exceeding greatness of his power was more for like five years ago for you. (laughs) Right? The exceeding mediocrity of God's power. Like there's never a point where this changes here. It's always going to be the exceeding greatness of God's power. us who believe that's what makes us recipients that's what gives us access to the power of god it doesn't hinge upon our performance it doesn't require of us to have perfection it hinges upon our belief our faith in jesus christ Paul is writing to saints, those who had put their faith in Jesus for salvation. Which is reinforced for us in him saying that he had heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus in verse 15, right? And so there should be no confusion here on how these things can be true for us. Do we believe? Is our faith in Jesus Christ, meaning we've surrendered to him and his Lordship. We've followed him in true discipleship where Jesus is our Lord, our Savior, our God. Because if those things are true of us, these things Paul is praying are true for us. God, through Paul, wants us to know this truth because he wants us to live in the reality. Of this truth and be confident of it. And if any believer was unsure what kind of power Paul had in mind when he prayed for us to know the exceeding greatness of God's power, Paul is going to describe what power he had in mind, which should help us to have an even greater appreciation, an even greater awe, even greater confidence in the power and work of God toward and in us. So let's look at the second half of verse 19 through verse 22 now. Again, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Instead of trying to like describe these different words, the Bible knowledge commentary did a perfectly better job at it. Show that to you. Uh, It says there, "The uh, the third fact Paul wanted believers to know pertains to the present time. His incomparably great power for us who believe. The word power, dunamis, means a spiritually dynamic and living force. This power of God is directed towards believers. Paul then used three additional words to describe God's power. It is according to the working, energeon, energetic power, from which comes the English word energy, of the might, kratos, power, that overcomes resistance. As in Christ's miracles, this word is only used of God, is used only of God, never of believers. Of God's inherent strength, ischios, which he provides, this magnificent accumulation of words for power underscores the magnitude of God's great power available to Christians. That, that quote is, is just it's helpful in us having a better understanding of the kind of power and work that Paul is praying that we will come to know as he uses those different words in verse 19. But in the second half of verse 19, through verse 22, Paul goes on to give us a clear description of that power that God has directed toward us who believe. That the power that God displayed when he rose Jesus from the grave, resurrection power, is the same power That God wants us to know that he has toward us. And that he's working in us. And it isn't interesting here, of all the examples of power that could have been used. Speaking all of the created universe into existence. Making mankind. I mean, we could go back in history and go, wow, that's God's power. We might pull from those things to use as an example. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't go there. He just goes, you know what? You know what accurately describes the kind of power? You know what kind of um, exceeds even the example that we could give of God's creative act of power? Raising Jesus from the grave. We realize how powerful that moment was for you and me because it's not even just a physical act of, of taking Jesus who was in a tomb and bringing him to life in a glorified body to never die again. But that in that moment of his resurrection, every promise, every single thing that God has said to you and me in Christ became reliable and true and trustworthy in that moment. Because if he hadn't risen, our faith would be in vain. Like there's more to it than just like, well, he came out of the tomb. That was pretty cool. And then he, like, just kind of, like, like, showed up in the rooms. Like, like, I phased in and freaked people out. Like, Jesus is so cool. I just see, like, I, I just feel like Jesus probably had some sort of a smirk in the upper room the night that he rose. And they're freaked out. He's like, peace be to you. And he's like, <laughs> he probably didn't, but in my mind. Every promise, everything that God has said to you and me, the resurrection of Jesus sealed it as completely authoritative and reliable for you and for me in that moment. That same power that God did there is toward you and me today. The the power that God displayed when he took the resurrected and glorified Jesus and ascended him to the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. That right hand being the place of honor and authority. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Speaking of the exaltation of Jesus over every being, over every authority, whether human, angelic, demonic, both now and forever, is the same power that God wants us to know that he has toward us and is working in us. And the power that God displayed in putting all things under Jesus' feet Speaking of giving him complete dominion and placing everything in subjection under him. And then giving him to be head over all things to the church. Meaning the church belongs to Jesus, which we're going to look at more fully next week. Is the same power that God wants us to know that he has toward us and is working in us. Each one of these descriptions reveal the working of his Mighty power. Each one of these things reinforces how exceedingly great his power truly is toward us who believe. We might ask then, well, why do we need to know this power? Because that's what Paul's praying, right? That you'll know. Why do we need to know this power that God has toward us and is working in us, well, because his power at work in us, towards us, has real life implications for us. I wanna give you guys some examples, and at the end of this, we're gonna show all the points in one slide, so don't freak out if you like. Some people, it's like, oh, I wanna snap a picture. Ah, it's too quick. And then you get mad at me and I get hate mail. No, I'm just kidding, that's never happened. But here are some examples. Not an exhaustive list, okay? This is not an exhaustive list. Be like, well, Jared, you could have said that. I know. Some examples of God's power toward us who believe. Again, his power at work in us has real life implications for us. So how do we see some of these things? Well, power to live a godly life that honors and obeys him. We see this in 2 Peter 1.3. Peter says, His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. How do we live the kind of life that we see described for us, that we're exhorted and commanded even at times in the New Testament to, to live? How do we do it? Because I don't know about you, we can look at some of these things and be like, I just, I don't know how this is going to work out. I might do it for a moment, but I don't know that I can really sustain that. Well, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life And godliness, God has power, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, ascended him to the right hand of the Father, put everything into subjection to him, gave him all dominion, all authority, all supremacy. He's going, all of that? I have that same power to be able to cause you to live a godly life. To live for me. And man, do we need that? You think about when you come across something in Scripture and you're going, I don't know, Lord, I want to. But how, how does this actually look in, in real life for me? Like, we can know, we can know, right? God, you have power for me to live out the things that you've called me to live. And so God, would you give me your power? Would your power be at work towards me Right now, in this moment, in this season, with this situation, with these things that you've called me to in my life, God. God, I know that you have power for me. We don't have to wish that God has power for us to live a godly life. He does. His divine power at work. Another example of God's power toward us who believe is power to have victory over our flesh, this world, and the devil. We see this in Galatians 5.16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 1 John 5.4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Ephesians 6.10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. How many of us have just been like a victim? A victim and we, maybe we feel like a victim of our flesh because we just have such a hard time seeing victory happen in, in the things that are our flesh is desiring and wanting to, to go after and, 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 and be having to come into my life. How many times have we felt a victim in a sense of like, man, the influence of the world around us and just how we're inundated and it's trying to squeeze us into its mold. How many times have we maybe felt that way when it comes to the, the demonic realm and the forces of evil that are coming against us, the spiritual battle that we face? And yet we're more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. That he has power by his spirit to to deny our flesh. To live that spirit-filled life. He has power for us to not be squeezed into the world's mold. To not be influenced by the the world around us. The godlessness and the the godless philosophies and, and ideals like No, we can have victory to keep moving forward in the things that God has said, the the things God has desired. We can have victory in the Lord to stand against the wiles of the devil. That means you and I don't have to be knocked over. We don't have to. Sometimes it happens if we're being honest with ourselves. But it doesn't have to be True of our lives. The armor of God, the power of God is enough. It's enough for you and me to stand and to keep on standing. He has power for us to live a life of victory. And man, victory is such a sweet thing. Freedom is such a sweet thing. And God has power for us to stay in that. Bought. to stay free, to stay in victory, his power toward us. So that gives us confidence when we face things, when we're struggling with our flesh, when we're struggling with what's going on in the world around us and, and the influences of the world, when we're, when we're faced with spiritual warfare and the enemy's just trying to cripple us, we can go, God, I know that you have power for me. Power for me in every single one of these moments, in every single dynamic in my life, whether it's the flesh, this world, or the devil, God, you have power for me. Another example of God's power toward us who believe, and maybe for this one, we would rather it not have to be true. Power to endure through trials and suffering. We see this in two different places of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 7 through 9 is the first place. Paul writing there, he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And then later in his writing to the church in Corinth there in that same letter in chapter 12, verses seven through 10, he says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, literally "to, to pummel me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power, notice, power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Power to endure. Endure. Being under a load. We just want the load to be thrown off. I don't want to have to be under the load. And yet God, to Paul, wasn't saying, I'm going to strip off the load. He says, I've got power for you to endure under the load, to keep going, to keep moving forward, that his grace was sufficient. His strength would be made perfect in Paul's weakness. And you know what that shows when that happens? Kind of going back to that passage in chapter 4, it shows that the power in us is not of us it shows that it's actually of God. Because we know us. We know what kind of vessel we are. We're earthen, easily cracked, easily broken. And yet with God's powers at work in us in trials, in suffering, we're able to keep going, keep moving forward, keep our eyes on Jesus. To, to, yes, we we could feel hard-pressed, but not crushed. We could feel perplexed, but, but not find ourselves in despair. We could go through persecution, but know, God, you've not forsaken me. We can feel struck down, but know that we're not destroyed. So when we go through trials, when we go through suffering, why why would this be so important? So that we would know, God, when we're going through these things, God, you've not abandoned me. Not only have you not abandoned me, you have power for me. Your grace is sufficient for me. Lord, you want to make your strength perfect in those moments of my weakness because, God, we feel weak at times, don't we? We go through things and, man, i just feeling it. God, I don't know how... How am I going to keep going? How, and, and it can be a lifelong sort of thing. There, there are things where there's not sort of like an end point in mind where we're going, okay, God, you're going to give me endurance because at this point, then my situation is going to change. If it doesn't change, God still has power for you to endure. If it doesn't get better... God still has power for you and your weakness. And we need to know those things. We need to know because we all go through these things to various degrees. Every single one of us, trial and suffering are going to strike our lives. But how we go through it can be completely different. So, God, give me your power. Maybe for some of you right now, you're going, God, I'm in it. I'm under the weight of the load. It's hard, God. There's not an end point in mind. I don't know what's going to happen. But God, I'm going to rest in this knowledge that you have power for me today. You have power for me tomorrow and every day until you take me into glory. but I love that this kind of leads into our next example of God's power toward us who believe. The power to abound in hope. We see this in Romans 15, verse 13. Paul says there, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you've ever abounded in hope in your life, you know what that's evidence of? The power of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you find yourself lacking in hope, maybe you're in this last point that we just talked about, the trials and suffering, and you're finding it hard to have hope. Know that God's same power that he used to raise Jesus from the grave is enough to cause you and me to actually abound, to overflow with hope. And so you can go back to that. Why is Paul praying it? Because we need to know that. God, I need to know that my circumstances don't have to dictate my hope, but that you have hope for me. You have power for me, God. And in my, whatever's going on, Whatever season, whatever situation, even if you find yourself as sort of a person who's prone to depression, you are not excluded from this passage. Abounding in hope by the power of the Spirit. And if we're not in that spot, that doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. If you're not in any of these spots, it doesn't mean like, oh man, I just stink. I can't get my act together. Why aren't these things true of me? Why aren't I enduring better? Why aren't I more hopeful? That's not the point of this. The point is for us to go. God, I can be confident of what you've said, and I'm going to pray that God, you'll do these things in me. So God, cause me to abound in hope. (laughs) This is something that you do. God, it's in your realm of power. This is something you love to do. You've wrote it. It had it preserved in, for your, in your word for me. God, I want to stand upon this and I'm going to pray this for myself. I'm going to pray it for somebody else, God, who's struggling with hope. And I'm going to believe, God, that your power is going to work towards us and in us. There's too many things here. I'm not even going to be able to... Let's just move on to the. <laughs> I only had a few more, but we already ran out of time. So, let's throw that last one up on the screen. You can see all the examples I was going to give, and um, if anybody wants my my teaching notes, just shoot me an email, and I'll I'll send them over to you. And you can see how crazy I am with writing everything down word for word in my notes. All of these examples and more. Again, not exhaustive. Reinforce to us why Paul prayed that we would know this. We need to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Knowledge that will bring us into greater fellowship with him. Knowledge that will increase our trust in and our love for and our worship of and our confidence in him. Knowledge that will transform how we see and love others. Knowledge that would transform how we see ourselves and our circumstances. Knowledge that would transform and ignite our hope. Knowledge that would transform how we walk through this life and bring Him glory, knowing the power that God has toward us and for us and is working in us. But as one of my favorite cartoons in the 80s, G.I. Joe, which I learned, I did a little Google search thing because I was like, is it? Am I thinking of the phrase right? Because I remember it in my mind a certain way, but I was young. I, will, you know, I wonder, why do they have all those PSAs at the end of every episode? Because it was such a, like, a glorified war and you know, all these things. So then they're like, you know, if we have like a PSA about good things at the end, then like child advocacy, group, advocacy groups will be like, yeah, this is good. It's not a bad show. Yeah, there's some things in there, but it's really good. At the end, it tells you not to play in a puddle when there's a lightning storm and not to go home with strangers and all these different things. But as that show would always end with, at the end of that public service announcement, the the kid, inevitably, he's always a kid. Now I know! That's what they'd say. Well, now I know! And the Joe would go, and knowing's half the battle. It's half the battle, even with this. Why? Because what God is wanting us to know, he wants us to receive. He wants us to walk and he wants us to live out by his grace and the power of his spirit. You know it, but God, would, would, would you make these things true in us? Make these things true for us more and more. We're gonna learn more from Paul's prayer next week. I'm going the worship team come back up. You know, what is God maybe wanting you to know today? Well, you're like, well, he told me all the things I need to know. No, there's more. There's other things. God can speak other things to your heart. But what is he wanting you to know and take to heart about his power toward you today? What are the things that you're facing? Maybe some of it was conviction. Maybe some of it was a challenge. But maybe there was some ways that God was wanting to fortify areas in your mind where maybe you didn't necessarily see some of things of these things as something that God actively by his power would want to do in you maybe you never saw hope as something that could abound maybe you just kind of resolved to just stay in your trial and suffering and just kind of like be crushed by it and not know that God has power for you to endure that he even has joy for you in the midst of hard things. His peace to guard your heart and mind. That God has power for you to serve him and others. Power to bring him glory in this world. That, That we will go, God, thank you that I know these things, but God, now would you do these things? Maybe, maybe for someone here, even maybe, maybe you believe but struggle with unbelief. You think about that uh, account in Jesus' ministry where a father came to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you know, my, my son, it, it's not going well, like he, he needs help, and he just says, you know, Jesus says to him like, you know, anything's possible to those who believe. Which probably we'd be in the same place, right? Like hearing something like that. Anything's possible to those who believe. He's like, well, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus didn't go, sorry, pal. Come back when you have perfect faith. He goes, Heal's the man's son. He met him in his belief mixed with unbelief. He met him in his struggle with belief, a desire to believe but recognizing, man, God, I I struggle. There's some areas there where I don't fully believe you. I don't fully believe your promises. There's things that I struggle with. And maybe that's someone here. And and maybe this morning, uh, the Lord would just say to you like, Gosh, bring it all to him. He'll take your belief, and he'll take the unbelief as well. He won't cast you aside. He'll meet you in that place of a desire to have greater belief. He'll strengthen your belief and trust in him. But look, if you don't know Jesus personally, if you don't believe... Know that He loves you. Us talking about Him raising from the grave, this reminds us that in the amazing, powerful love of God, Jesus entered into our mess and died in our place to forgive us of our sins, to, give us, uh, to bring us into a relationship with God where we, He would give us His righteousness. We'd give him all of our mess, all of our unrighteousness, all of our junk. And in return, he goes, I'm going to give you me, my perfection, my righteousness, my presence, my spirit in your life, my love, my peace, my joy. And, and one day, you're going to be with me for all eternity. And he's going, hey. And those of us that are clapping are, are the ones who... We've experienced the power of God. We've experienced the salvation of God. And if, if you're in that spot and you've not, that's not the reality for your life, let today be the day of salvation for you. Don't leave the way that you came in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that God, this is your desire for us that we'd know the hope of your calling, Lord. We'd know the glory of the riches of your inheritance and your saints. And that, Lord, we would know the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe. And so, God, these things that we've considered this morning, Lord, grow us in them. God, help us to know and be confident But Lord, also to walk in these things. God, would your power be at work in our lives in these ways that we've considered this morning and even more? God, meet your people where they're at. God, you know each of our needs, Lord. Lord, you know the cries of our hearts. God, you know those areas where maybe even in one of those examples, Lord, it struck a chord with us this morning. God, would you just, God, would you show forth your power in our lives? God, would we trust you even more? Be even more confident of who you are, what you've said. And just live in that place, Lord. And God, that as earthen vessels, Lord, you would shine forth through us in such a way to others that they would see that whatever powers that work in us, Lord, it's not, not us, it's you. Lord, that others would be drawn to you through us. But God, maybe for some today, they're just, Maybe they're in that spot. They're going, I believe, but I've got unbelief. I've, I've struggled. I struggle with doubt. God, would they just bring all of those things to you this morning? The belief mixed with unbelief. And God, would you strengthen them? God, would you strengthen their faith? God, would you speak into those things that they struggle with, Lord? Maybe intellectually or Maybe it's just struggling to believe your goodness because of the difficulties that they've faced in life. God, would they see your goodness? Would they see your care? Would they see your love, Lord? And God, would you minister to them today? But if you've come and you've never first opened your heart to Jesus, if if you came in not believing... Jesus has done everything possible to give you confidence to believe. Christianity is not a blind faith, it's a a faith based on evidence. And today, He's wanting you to experience His salvation, if that's you. That anybody this morning would you raise your hand and say, That's me, I, I want to be saved, I want my sins forgiven i want my guilt erased i want my shame done away with i want to know that when the father looks at me he accepts me because he sees the righteousness of jesus in me i want to know that one day i'm going to be with him for all eternity that anybody here this morning and you're going that's me God, you know, you know the state of each heart, Lord. Maybe even those that are watching online that would listen to this later on, God, that they would maybe in their hearts, are going, that's, that's me. And maybe they're just, maybe they're raising their hands. And God, that you would just meet them where they're at, Lord, that they would humble themselves before you and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Forgive me. Give me your righteousness. Give me your salvation. Seal me with your Holy Spirit. Make me new. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you were raised from the grave. Jesus, I put my trust in you today. Surrendering to your lordship. In my life. I encourage you if you've done that, the Bible says you will be saved. And so Lord, as we respond now to these songs, uh, to your word, Lord, and songs of praise and taking the communion elements, Lord, and getting prayer for, prayed for by the prayer counselors, God, we just want you, Lord, to cause us to abound with hope, Lord, for for worship to spring forth from our hearts and our mouths, Lord, because you're worthy. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.